0: We're trying to teach people data skills. A lot of people don't even realize that, they don't realize even what data is or are, if you, if you like the plural form of data. And so we're trying to t- make sure that people understand that they need data skills if they're in an entry-level HR role or sales or marketing. It's not just for data professionals or technical professionals. And so one quote that, um, that I really loved from a recent customer discussion was they thought data was just numbers before they got into QuantHub. And then they started realizing that there's some concepts in there. It's not just about numbers. My name is Matt Cowell. I'm the CEO at QuantHub. This is Code Story,
1: the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lappart, and today, how Matt Cowell created a necessary platform to assess data skills and upskill your workforce. All this and more on Code Story. Matt Cowell didn't start out in tech. In fact, he studied the chemical world heavily in school, getting his bachelor's in chemistry and master's in chemical engineering. So, by trade... He was clearly a chemist. However, when he joined Accenture, he started in with programming and established the SDLC methodology for the company. Matt's married with two kids, loves sports, specifically Illinois, basketball, and loves to play music and golf. He likes to travel with his wife to see family and make frequent visits to their lake house. In his professional past, Matt held several roles in SaaS companies and startups. Eventually, he met a company that was an artificial intelligence consultancy which had a POC around skill assessments. They wanted to start up a separate company to support and launch this POC. This is when Matt got involved. This is the creation story of QuantHub.
0: One is a data skill platform. And so we really have two lines of business. One is we have an assessment uh, platform of data skills. And so think data scientists, data engineers. So if you're hiring a data scientist at um, you know a large company, you're hiring probably hundreds of data scientists. It's a little bit hard to tell people apart and know who has the skills to do the job and who doesn't. And so we have an assessment platform to do just that. And so we have companies all over the world using us for that. And then the second part of our business is in upskilling of data skills. And so helping organizations build uh, really data literacy across the entire enterprise. So not just data science and data, um, true data analytics skills, but um, just, you know, helping salespeople, marketing, HR operations uh, be more effective at, at using data and being more data driven. And so there's a big skill gap um, globally in and around data, but data is everywhere. So, you, you you know, it's no longer optional to have data skills. And, and that's where really where we come in and, and uh, fit in helping organizations build those skills. My background is in product and tech um, in SaaS companies with sort of CTO like roles, um, managing uh, both the product and the um, and the tech and engineering side. And um, met a company, it was an AI consultancy. We're out of um, Birmingham, Alabama, um, mostly remote, but a few of us are out of Birmingham now. And uh, the AI consultancy had sort of a a proof of concept, if you will, um, that was the beginnings of our assessment platform. And they wanted to spin it out as a separate company, raise money and you know, sort of have its own future. And that's really how QuantHub got its start. I came on to run it as a separate company. Um, it was sort of day one for the company. We didn't have any customers. We had kind of a proof of concept um, for the product. Didn't have any marketing. You know, it was kind of early, early days. But that's how we got our start. They were doing this internally to help in their own hiring. You know, kind of realize that hiring is difficult. You spend a lot of time. It's relatively error prone in this field. And so they, you know, started tuning their hiring process by using assessments, and then that's what you know we took on as a business.
1: Tell me about the MVP. So tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you and your team use to bring it to life?
0: The initial product was PHP Laravel. In terms of how long it, it how long it took. When, when I got here, we had sort of a, a fledgling product. So our product is two things. It's software, of course, but then it's also content. Um, so it's, in particular, it's assessment content. So we have to write assessment questions across a range of technologies that, you know, do a good job of, of determining whether a person knows that that skill or or not and and so there are really sort of two aspects for us building the the software and then you know actually generating all the content making sure the content is good going through qa uh review making sure that it's not plagiarized and it's you know not just literally pulled off the internet and and so from a product perspective uh we had kind of the beginnings of a product when i when i first started on sort of day one um it probably took us about or four months to get something that we were ready for a customer to use and then in that same amount of time we were building that um, building that content library Um, so probably about three or four months before we were doing some beta type work with an early adopter so with any mvp you got
1: to make certain decisions and trade-offs about what you're going to, you know, cut in the short term or what you're going to include in the short term and what sort of technical debt you're going to take on or even approach debt. If that's a term, I may have just made that up, but tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs
0: that you made and how you coped with them. There are several features, I would say, that people talk about a lot in our in our market. And, you know, just frankly, we had to do without those early on. So an example of that would be, you know, we were testing or we are assessing coding skills, but also um, more kind of foundational skills like statistics and mathematics and uh, machine learning algorithms and, you know, these types of things. And and so early on, you know, we. We had to make a decision whether we wanted to spend a lot of time and actually allow people to and, and build, in essence, a code editor where we could assess coding skills in the browser. And, you know, it didn't make sense to spend a lot of time doing that until... You know, we were starting to get more feedback from customers. We had people using the product and testing statistics and and other things like that. So you know that was something that we uh, that we held on, for example, and and ended up building that later um, before we had already had a, a few customers. And so instead, you know, we were doing more kind of multiple choice coding um, coding questions and and things where we could still assess coding skills, but not necessarily in let's say the most sophisticated way. And so that was an example. That there there are plenty of other examples where uh, we wanted to do video interviewing and sort of online proctoring where you can actually see the person taking the assessment. And, you know, that's another example where that came up some with customers, but not enough to where it made sense for us to to put that in the kind of early stages of the product. And so those decisions, I mean, while I would like to say that there's some magical process that that we went through, uh, you know, to to come up with those decisions. Uh, You know, for me, it, it really comes down to listening to customers and and really asking a lot of questions as to help understand what it is that they really need. Customers will ask for everything, but at the end of the day, it's really up to you know me and others on the team to figure out. Okay, but what do they really need? What can they, what can they live with? What gets them the value that they need out of the solution um, with the minimal amount of development time? So, what's the least product that we can give them that delivers on the value proposition? And so that's really the mindset. And and you know, so it's I wouldn't say there's there's a lot of process around that other than asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, making sure we really understand what it is that gets them the value they need and, you know, what features they need to deliver on that value.
1: So from that point, you've got your MVP built. Um, How did you progress it? How did you mature it? And to give kind of context to where I'm going with that question, how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build?
0: Not sure who's listening to this, so hopefully prospective customers aren't listening too much. So (laughs) (laughs) we, we, uh, as any early stage company, you know, we talk about a lot of things that we're doing, quote unquote doing, if you will, you can't see my fingers, but quote unquote doing. And, and you know, it's usually, uh, you know, the honest truth is is I'm pretty close to the product and I'm very involved in sales. And so I'm sort of a bridge in our team um, as the CEO, I'm a bridge in our team across those two areas. So I know where we're going strategically. I know the types of things that we're planning to build. Um, and, you know, I know where our priorities are currently. But, you know, if we're talking to a, you know, a massive, massive company, and it's a huge opportunity, then, you know, I know where I can, I can sort of talk about futures a little bit. And because I know that if this hits and, and, you know, chances are a massive company probably won't, it's going to take it's not going to happen tomorrow. So we're going to go through procurement and then it's going to take them a little while to get their ducks in a row to actually launch. And so we're talking months out. And so from a road mapping perspective, you know, we've we talk to customers. We know what's out there in the market. We um, we look at on our specifically on our upskilling product. We look a lot at the learning science to determine what is actually the best way to learn? It's it's not generally how we've learned in the past. I will say, um, you know, the kind of traditional approach to learning is pretty ineffective, and so we look a lot at that, and and you know, we we formulate our approach to it. But then, from a prioritization and road mapping standpoint, you know, it's usually a combination of looking at what current customers are asking for, what they need, and then you know, balancing that with prospective customers, and and quite honestly, who I think's gonna who I think's gonna bite first.
1: Well, let's switch to team so how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you
0: yeah for me i i look for smart passionate um low ego people and and it's it's maybe as, as simple as that at a, at a startup you know we have we're not a huge team you know we need people that are adaptable Um, to doing lots of different things. And that usually comes with people being low ego, Um, you know, so not not super concerned about, well, that's below that's below what I should be doing at this point in my career. I mean, for, for me, I I do. You know, sort of technical support sometimes. I, I answer support questions and, and we need people that are willing to roll up their sleeves like that. And so that's a big deal, particularly for a company at our, at our stage. That's a huge deal, but then also people that are passionate. And this is not just a quantum thing. I've always felt this way that, you know, it's a, it's, you got to find people that, you asked about hobbies earlier. Quite honestly, one of my hobbies is this. I love doing this. And, you know, I love building companies. I love building solutions. I love solving customer problems. And it's like it's one of my favorite things to do, period. And um, and so I tend to want to surround myself with people that are like that, that are constantly Looking at this as a hobby and it doesn't mean they don't have work life balance, but it's just this is what they love to do. They love to talk to customers. They love to see new ways that we can solve age old problems. And usually that comes from people that you can sense a passion about them and then you know the smart side is is people that can pick up on things quickly they can think on their feet they can understand different circumstances um, you know that we're in a relatively technical area with at least part of our product and so being able to pick up on that quickly even though that's not their background and so those three things you know to me are are, are really important traits let's flip to scalability did you build this to
1: scale efficiently from day one Or were you fighting this as you grow?
0: I assume that's a joke, right? I I can't tell sarcasm in your voice, but the answer to that is obviously no. (laughs) I assume everyone that's on this podcast would answer that similarly, but no, heck no. It wasn't built to scale efficiently on day one. What was interesting for us in a lot of companies, you know, when they start early on, will, you know, they can sort of dabble in it before they have to scale. Well, for us... Um, that was not the that was not the case. So, which was good and bad. The good is that we were in with a large company early on that was doing a ton of hiring. It's one of the largest management consulting companies in the world. The the bad is that you know we found ourselves. Remember, I said three to four months to sort of build the MVP. Well, about three months after that, they were doing campus recruiting, and it was they were actually sending out. Uh, I think it was 3,600 assessments on our platform, and this was for campus across the entire country. And those people were to complete those within one week. Keep in mind, we had we had tested like 30 people ever <laughs> at that point, and and so to do 3,600 in a week when we had tested 30 ever. We weren't ready for that because they were all going to be doing it at the same time. Um, Students, they all procrastinate. So literally one Sunday night um, at 10 p.m., everyone started doing it at the same time and all hell broke loose. And, you know, we were just we were literally there just holding on for dear life, hoping that we would get through it. And we ended up getting through it Um, before that. We knew this might be a problem. And so we actually did some some performance testing. Um, We used some some. Freelancers that I had that that had been on my team previously at a SaaS software company that knew performance testing, and so we had them come on and do some testing. Thank goodness, uh, because we found some some areas um, with the potential for improvement. Let's say, and so we had implemented some improvements before that first run. Thank goodness, Uh, but you know we we certainly learned. Uh, we have some scars to show for it, I guess, is maybe a a way to say it. And then we, you know, we continued to improve it over time. Uh, Prior to the next year, campus recruiting, you know, we had done some more performance testing, we had solved a lot of the issues. So it went much, much better.
1: So you're kind of
0: growing with your growth,
1: right? You're (laughs) you're campus recruiting, you're hitting some scale issues, you're fixing them, your campus recruiting, scale issues, fixing them, and you're growing as you need to sort of just in
0: time. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of the stuff that we've done is, has been just in time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I will say on the learning aspect of our solution, what really, what really gets me fired up is, um, I'll give you an example from, from recently, you know, we, we're trying to teach people data skills. A lot of people don't even realize that they don't realize even what data is or are, if you, if you like the plural form of data. Um, and so one, you know, one of our, we're trying to t- make sure that people understand that they need data skills if they're in an entry-level HR role or sales or marketing. It's not just for data professionals or technical professionals. And so one quote that, um, that I really loved from a recent, uh, recent customer discussion was they thought data was just numbers. And before they got into quantum and then they started realizing that there's some concepts in there. It's not just about numbers. And so the thing that I really love about what we do is, is how we're, we're making, we're trying to make data and we're succeeding in making data relatable to the masses. Um, so, so a lot of people think when they think of data skills, they think, oh, I don't need those. I'm just going to send that to my analytics person. Well, that's just not the world we live in anymore. The data is all around us. My voice right now is data. And, and so, cause Alexa is listening in the next room. And, and so, you know, that's, it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I tried to be quiet actually when I said that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah it's it's making it relatable to people that just gets me all fired up and and so that solving that problem getting people to more confident hearing them say oh i'm actually i'm now recognizing the data around me and i'm using it more effectively and i'm understanding the different charts i just i just get so fired up by hearing people um you know that it's actually doing that for them that's that's what gets me fired up i mean i i'm proud of a lot of things our team and 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 so on but that that gets me really excited
1: well, let's flip the script a little bit. So, tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think mistake. I guess I don't think about it like this. Um, and and I know this is almost cliche in the startup world now. But you know, when you make mistakes, you learn from it, and 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 you well, hopefully, you learn and, and grow, and you're better off for it um, down the road. I mean, we've made some we've made some hires that didn't pan out. Um, you know, we we probably started too heavy in conferences early on. We spent about a hundred thousand dollars in our first 12 months on conferences and then, um, not enough on, I would say SEO and making sure that we could get the inbound, um, funnel coming in faster. Um, you know, I just, there are all, all kinds of, all kinds of things. And in terms of how we respond to those, to those things, I mean, the, I think we have to be humble enough to, and and this is this is one of our, I think, key cultural traits is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. It's literally um, in in sort of our core values is that the in, the intent is not to take ourselves too seriously, and that way we we have an openness to learn from those things, and so. If we repeat them, we, we repeat them differently and have a better chance for success or or maybe we shouldn't repeat them. Maybe it should influence how we do things in the future. And, and so certainly that's happened over and over and over again. I mean, I, it's in literally every area of the business where, you know, we make mistakes and and then, you know, hopefully those mistakes are low impact and and they help us learn to make better decisions next time. And so I think that's the key bite. If you do things in small pieces, you, you know, which is kind of the whole agile movement, right? You do things in small pieces, then you break things down into bite-sized pieces, then you're, the impact of, of bad mistakes is, is much, much smaller. And, and you're able to learn from them in a positive way and, and, you know, be better next time, which is generally speaking, kind of how we, how we tend to operate. This is this will be fun to
1: this will be fun to ask. I always love to hear the answer from my guest. What does the future look like for for Quant Hub, the product, and for your team?
0: Yeah, like most startups, we think big, <laughs> and so I i honestly think that our vision, and as a matter of fact, is that five years from now, companies or people all over the world will either, there's going to be a transformation in data skills. Um, sort of a human capital transformation. And honestly, I think in five years from now, companies and people all over the world will look and they will see QuantHub as the greatest facilitator of that transformation. And so it's, it's so needed right now, and there just aren't great ways to accomplish it. And so from a product perspective, the way we get there is... Right now if you search on data literacy or you search on um data citizens if you will quote unquote um you see all kinds of training but that training is all the same it's all long form training it it almost takes us back to academia where where you you learn 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 then you take a test and then you forget everything And there's plenty of learning science to back that up. And we just don't approach it that way. So we're very much a micro learning platform. You learn a little bit every day. And uh, we're much more like the language learning platforms, like the Duolingos of the world, um, which are those are based on learning science. And this is the best way to learn. This is the best way to retain information. And so from a product perspective, we're going to continue to lean into that. Uh, We're going to lean into the best way for people actually to learn uh, because I like to say that the problem we're trying to solve is an every company in the world, every person in the world type of problem. We all can can actually use data more effectively. And it's it's just now pervasive data is everywhere. And so it's you have to be able to use it effectively. And so from a product perspective, you know, we'll continue to lean into making this as as seamless a solution as possible, where people can just spend a little bit every day and learn as opposed to having to go off site, spend eight hours, you know, 16 hours, 24 hours scheduling time to go to training that they're going to forget the next week.
1: We'll let's switch to you, Matt. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a CEO, CTO, architect, re- really any person that you look up to and why.
0: Yeah, I don't actually have specific people. Um, like a lot of people, you know, have specific mentors in their, in their past. And I can name plenty of people that I've worked with that have influenced me over the years. And, and they're not, I would say, off, almost more often than not, they're actually people that were on my team um, rather than people that I reported to. Now, I've certainly learned from people I reported to as well. Um, I was at a SaaS software company for about 10 years, and we grew 10x in those 10 years. And um, the culture was amazing there. You know, we went through lots of up and downs, and I learned a ton from the people that were my peers and, and the CEO there. But at that same place, I learned a tremendous amount from the people that were on my team. And I think, you know, you do that by hiring people that are better than you and, and, and lots of aspects and have a different perspective than you. And so my whole mindset over those 10 years, com- almost completely shifted, uh, whether that's, you know, more agile thinking, um, I, I had never been in a startup until I got to, to QuantHub, that was an early stage company, um, but I learned a lot around kind of the startup mentality there. And, and so it just really transformed how I, how I approach customers, how I approach solving problems, how I approach leading teams. And that was a combination of the, my peers, you know, CEO that I worked for, and, and certainly plenty of people on my team. So I don't have like a specific person that I always think of that I would go to. It's more just a collection of experiences, um, you know, over my whole career. We talked about a mistake,
1: but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: I think about this even in in my in my life. You know, I didn't I didn't necessarily come into this field through. I've never taken a computer science course in my life, uh, but I've done tons of programming and and served in like CTO roles. But um, would I go back and, and major in that instead of majoring in chemistry and and working as a research chemist at, P, at Procter and Gamble for a couple of years? No, no way I would. And and it's just because I think you learn in in these things help form who you are by going the approach that, that you went. And so um, I don't tend to think like this where I would actually go back and, and redo something. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't learn. We spent a lot of money on conferences early on and, and you know, I, I, I would maybe do that a little bit differently because we I don't know that we got as much out of that as we needed to. Um, you know, we could have gotten into our upskilling solution earlier on, um, but then we you know, then we wouldn't have some of the great customers we have in on our hiring solution. So I don't know, I I don't, I don't know that I would, um, I would do things differently if given the opportunity just because then, you know, I wouldn't have learned what I learned. Well, last question, Matt. So you're getting on a plane
1: and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: Yeah, I would say don't be too proud. You know, I think it goes back to the pride and ego thing. Um, one one of the things that's difficult is is you always feel like you have the right you have the right solution, and you're not open to you. There's not an openness to listen um, or to listening to what others are saying, customers or the market or whatever, and and so. One of the things that I see in people, particularly early in their career, and I certainly did the same thing, is that people oftentimes don't listen to understand. They listen just so they can ask the next question or say the next thing they want to say. And when you, the advice I would give, in fact, I literally was just sitting um, at a restaurant and a gentleman came up and he was a, he was a coach for um, he was an assistant coach at a soccer, a soccer program at a university. And he was talking about uh, recruiting. And so I was giving him this advice, which is similar to this question, is that um, just make sure you're listening to understand. Because, you know, if you really want to make a connection with someone which could be a customer or you want your solution to connect with them, you want it to actually solve their problems, you have to understand them. And so that comes with with being empathetic. But the root of all of that is listening to understand and not just listening to respond or listening to comment or thinking about what you're going to say next. Take it in, (laughs) listen to understand what they're saying, and then, you know, that actually will let you then absorb that and, and figure out if you're on the right path. If you're not listening to understand, if you're then you're just sort of thinking about how you're going to force this into situations, then. You're probably not going to be very adaptable as a startup and I think that's the most deadly trait. Is when custom, when startups and early stage companies aren't adaptable to feedback, then I'd say that's a that's usually the death knell for for startups in my opinion. I think that's great advice. Well Matt, thank you for being on the show
1: today. Thank you for telling the creation story of QuantHub. Yeah, my pleasure. No, I appreciate you having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.